Hello everyone, I'm Tori. And I'm Kariana. And welcome to God and All Things. Today we're going to be discussing The Scarlet Pimpernel yes. by Baroness Orzi. Is that yes. how you say her <laughs> last name? She's a Hungarian authoress. So if you know Hungarian, you'd be- know better how to pronounce it. Than I do. <laughs> but we'll go with that for now. Let's just kick it off with a summary and then we can get into personal experiences and all that jazz. Awesome. Okay, so the Scarlet Pimpernel centers around Lady Marguerite Blakeney, who is the leader of fashion in London society. She's a clever and beautiful French woman who left the bloody world of the French Revolution behind to marry the handsome and rich but dull-witted Sir Percy Blakeney. Though Percy once adored Marguerite, her past skeletons caught up with her shortly after their marriage, causing an estrangement between the two. However, Marguerite is not the only one with secrets, and both will have to learn to trust each other if they are to overcome the dangers of love and the guillotine. Wow, what a beautiful last sentence. Well done, Kari. <laughs> Thanks. Love it. Um, so personal experiences. So I actually saw the film first. I saw it back... I want to say it was middle school, possibly, actually. It might have been, like, 10th grade, so, like, just as I was starting high school. We watched a clip from the very beginning in an English or history class. I can't remember which one. And, yeah, that was my experience. And then my friend ended up watching the rest of it and was like, you've got to watch the rest of it. It's great. So we watched it at her house one night, and I just really, really loved it. And so I ended up getting my hands on a copy. It was a DVD, and we really were it was kind of the stage everybody was moving past dvds but it wasn't available anywhere it wasn't available on an apple tv or anything so i was like i am getting this dvd i've probably watched it like twice (laughs) since getting the dvd of it but i got it and because i just had to have it and yeah so i had that experience and then i ended up wanting to read the book and i actually got most of the way through and then just like stopped reading it i think it was just the timing i just got distracted and never came back to it But I was like, I know the rest of the story and I pretty much almost finished it. So I just kind of like sort of counted it. It's like the one time in my life I've ever like said I've read something that technically I haven't. (laughs) So for a long time, that was me. Yes. And then so this was actually my first time getting all the way through the book was this round. So that was great. I know there's the musical, which I've heard songs from, but I haven't really deep dove into that. But yeah, I just love the movie and I think the book adds a really interesting dynamic to, or another perspective, I guess, to what the movie does. So I really actually love both of them together and I just think it's a really fun story and Percy Blakeney is just wonderful. I love him. Yes, honestly. So yeah, that is my past experience. What about you? Okay. Uh, My first experience was with the musical. My stepmom loves, loves, loves this musical, right? So I was introduced to it by her in high school. And it's been my favorite musical ever since it uh, beat out Les Mis. So I just switched one French Revolution story for another. (laughs) We love it. But I also, I was mega French Revolution obsessed in high school. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't too surprising. But yeah, so I've seen the play probably four times. And uh, I have a lot of it memorized. (laughs) Um, I I mean, I have all the music memorized. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of the dialogue memorized. Impressive. (laughs) Because I just, oh my gosh, I just love it so much. It's my favorite. Um, Now it's a family favorite. So Mm -hmm. we go see it everywhere. It just played at like 
Davis High School or somewhere. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go see this. And next thing I knew, I was buying eight tickets yes. <laughs> for everyone in my Let's family. So family favorite. We all love and adore it. Um, and so it was also in high school that I kind of went on a kick of reading musical books so like I read Phantom of the Opera Mm -hmm. and Wicked and like all of that stuff Mm -hmm. and along with that I read The Scarlet Pimpernel and um that's when I like hardcore fell in love with Percy Blakeney (laughs) I don't think I had seen it on stage at that point so I was in love with the music and it was my favorite show just from the music and so then reading the book was like my first introduction to like, you know, the in-between stuff and what was actually going on. Yeah. And I just, I fell in love with Percy Blakeney. I was telling Tori, <laughs> so Percy Blakeney is like my first, what I consider my first literary crush that I would like actually marry. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I had literary yeah. crushes like Sydney Carton from A Tale of Two Cities and like stuff like that where it's like... Okay, but like, I wouldn't actually be with him if given the chance, you know? (laughs) But Percy Blakeney, I was like, yes, 100%, a thousand times, yes. Um, (laughs) But, which is funny because on this read through, I don't understand why I felt that way as much. Like, there's nothing wrong with him. I still love him, but he's just not really like on screen a lot and he doesn't really do much you know so i'm like i'm not really sure why i was so it was just the one scene it was the one one over (laughs) should i just say it now or should i wait till we get there okay all right (laughs) oh yes that scene it killed me i was i was such a romantic i was even worse then probably than i am now (laughs) and i'm pretty bad now um (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, and then Tori actually introduced me to the movie. I didn't know there was a non-musical movie, so we watched that together, and it's, like, just as good as everything (laughs) else. It's just so funny and silly and romantic and beautiful and just, ugh, it's so good. So, yes, basically, we both really enjoy it, and we're excited to talk about it. So let's get into the gospel principle and introduce that, and then we'll get into the actual plot of the story and our deeper discussion on it. So our gospel principle is pride, and specifically how pride affects relationships. Throughout the Book of Mormon, we read about people who are repeatedly brought low, despite moments of joy and plenty. How does this happen? We are taught that pride hath proven their destruction. In Moroni 8.27, because of the pride of their hearts, both the Nephites and the Lamanites regularly forget the goodness of God and develop a sense of enmity towards him and each other. Pride is the great destroyer of relationships. It is what often gets in the way of spiritual connection and bars us from progression toward our ultimate goal, eternal life. So that's what we're going to discuss more in depth in this story. And it definitely plays a huge role in this, especially in connection with relationship, because this whole book is about a married relationship and what happens when both of them are holding on to pride in their different ways. So let's just jump straight into this. We start off the book just being introduced to who the Scarlet Pimpernel is. Basically, we start off right with the French Revolution. It's very dramatic. They're cutting off heads. And we're learning from the guards who are talking about the Scarlet Pimpernel, who is a man, and he also has a league of other men who are helping him save aristocrats from the guillotine. And they do it in very cunning and smart ways. Fun ways. Fun, very fun (laughs) ways, yes. They're very clever. And they always leave behind a paper with a Scarlet Pimpernel on it, which is just their symbol. It's a flower, if you don't know. 
And we just get a little bit of a couple of their plots and what happens. We're not going to go too deep into that because it's not really applicable to this discussion. But read it. It's great. Watch the movie. It actually shows both of these experiences and how they do it in the film so you're able to see it and it's just great it's very exciting the important part is basically that they use disguises and just trick people that's what that's Mm -hmm. what comes up regularly exactly and so then we go across the channel to england and there's this seaside inn that we end up seeing um, the Fisherman's Rest. Yes. Such the a Fisherman's picturesque rest. name. <laughs> yes. Very charming and very English. And in it, we see Sir Anthony, this young man who comes in and not far behind him is this man, Sir Andrew, and two women that they've just saved from the guillotine. So they've crossed over the channel. They're safe now. It's a mother and daughter pair. And the mother, the Comtesse, as she is referred to, explains that she really doesn't want to meet this particular woman, Sir Lady Margaret. Margaret Blakeney, Marguerite Blakeney. She's a woman who was French and she ended up meeting an English aristocrat, Percy Blakeney, that she ended up marrying. She's known to be one of the most intelligent women in all of Europe, even. So she's very highly favored by the royal family in England. Everybody loves her, but she is known to have played a role in the deaths of several aristocrats in England. People blame her for giving the government information about them that caused this whole family's death. So this Comtesse is like, I do not want to see her. And right after she says that, uh, who should arrive (laughs) but Marguerite and Percy Blakeney both arrive. And Marguerite is our main character. So she's described as beautiful. Like I said, she's very intelligent, very well known for her mind, as well as her beauty. She was an actress. So she's just this very popular, rounded woman, especially for the time. And Sir Percy is known to be silly, basically. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. (laughs) He has this long drawl and just very carefree and doesn't seem to care about anything. Very apathetic and and slow and yep, lazy. And so he's just not really looked upon very favorably. He's seen as very fashionable. And the Prince of Wales actually does like him a lot. Yeah, I think yes. there are people who mm-hmm. get along with him. Yes, he's, it sounds like he's probably a very amiable person. He's a likable yeah. person, but he's not known to be intelligent no. or like part of what makes him fun to be around is how silly he is. Right. Like people kind of like to just make fun of him a lot. So, yeah. and it's supposedly runs in the family that his mother was an idiot and his father was i think he was just lazy is that right i, I think can't quite yeah they talk about like the insane mother and his dad just kind of like doesn't deal with yes, it <laughs> kind of neglectful yeah and, yeah so that's what we learn about this couple that comes in we also get to see very quickly the marital strife that is involved in their marriage when marguerite <laughs> yeah. walks in she walks in first And in the meantime, while she's coming in, after she's announced, the Comtesse and her daughter are like, let's get out of here. We don't want to be here, but they're too late. And Marguerite comes in and sees them. And she actually knows them from her time in France and is like, oh, it's so good to see you, goes and tries to give them a hug, especially the daughter. She knows the daughter really well. And the mother is just like, absolutely not. We're not going to be around you after what you've done and ends up leaving. And Marguerite's very, she, it talks about how she has a look like she is hurt by it. 
it, but she just kind of comes out of it really quick because she has, you know, this reputation and this pride that she has that she doesn't want to show that kind of rejection and that pain that that caused. Um, But not long after, her husband comes in and there's kind of a discussion about what just happened and she makes some passing, like, very sarcastic comments about, hey, you should, you know, defend your wife from this terrible injustice and stuff. And Percy just kind of, like, laughs it off, basically, and is just like, oh, whatever, like, you're fine. I can't possibly do that. That's just silly. And so we see, like I said, very quickly that there's some issues in this marriage as well. And also just the description of each of their personalities, you kind of start off knowing, like, there's something off. Like, why did she marry him in the first place? And then, yeah, seeing this moment where she clearly wants him to say something about the way she was treated in her defense and he's not doing it. In fact, he treats it flippantly. It's not just like, oh, let's handle it better or anything like that. It's just, no, like, that's silly. What a waste of my time and energy. They're both very insulting to each other in their own ways. Mm -hmm. She very, she insults him in her kind of like clever, intelligent ways that she's like, yeah, he doesn't even get it. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he insults her and yeah, this very just kind of flippant your feelings and what you think doesn't really matter to me attitude Mm -hmm. during all of this conversation there is also a couple other men who are there eating another at another table who seem to not really be paying attention but this group of course being part of the league of the scarlet pimpernel at least for sir anthony and sir andrew they're making sure that they're keeping their thoughts vague and their phrases vague so that these these two other men don't know anything. And so after a little bit, these men supposedly leave, but it does describe one of them kind of slipping down under one of the tables without anybody else noticing. And so as soon as the other one's gone and the door closes, they all like have the sigh of relief and Sir Andrew and Sir Anthony are able to kind of discuss things more directly. Um, Marguerite ends up leaving after her conversation with her husband. She gets out of there. So part of the reason that Sir Percy and Marguerite are there is because her brother, who works with the French government, is in town and he's about to leave back to France. And so they're waving him off. And so as she ends up leaving after this conversation with her husband in order to say an official goodbye to her brother. And so they have this conversation and she clearly is very concerned about just being left alone with her husband again. Like she really has this deep relationship with her brother and her brother is like, surely it's not that bad. I wish you would talk to me and share with me like your real concerns and stuff about your marriage, but she just won't. And in the end, he does end up leaving and she just kind of watches him go. And part of the problem, the narrative describes that from the very, not long after her marriage, her husband found out about these rumors that were circulating about her being the cause of the death of this aristocratic family in France. And he believed that. She does end up telling him herself, but by then he had already heard. And she, in that moment, wasn't willing to explain the whole story, which basically was that she was kind of taken advantage of by the French government. And the the members of the French government kind of tricked her into giving the information that they would need. And she was just young and just did not understand until it was too late. But instead of explaining this, she's like, no, my husband should just know and trust me. You just have to trust me. You just have to trust me. And so 
ever since then, he's really pulled back. He always was silly to her, but she was able to see something in the lead up to their marriage that intrigued her. And she really appreciated his adoration of her and saw at least a spark of something there that drew her in, which is why she married him in the first place. But then now they've split up not long after their marriage because of this misunderstanding between them. So we'll hold that thought because a little bit later, there's a scene where we'll get even deeper into that story and both sides of it. And we'll be able to discuss even deeper that pride that's involved in that particular circumstance. But in the meantime, after Marguerite has this inner monologue discussing in her thoughts what happened between her and her husband, she ends up seeing a man in the distance who's coming near her. And when he gets to a certain point, she's able to actually recognize him. He's a man named Chevlon, who was one of her friends back in France. And he's also part of the French government. So he's pretty high up there. And they kind of just have this conversation. And basically what ultimately comes of this conversation is that Chevlon is there to find, is in England to find the Scarlet Pimpernel and bring him to justice, according to the French government. And so he's asking Marguerite as a French citizen to help him in doing that. And she fights back. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's, we think very highly of him here. We think he's doing great things. I believe in freedom, but I don't necessarily believe in what you guys are doing with it. So she is adamant that she doesn't want to, but he's like, okay, well, I'll talk to you later. I'll be going into London and I have a few, there's a few gatherings. I think there's like a performance that's going on and she tells him like, if you really must speak with me, you can speak with me there because that's when we'll next be most likely to see each other. And so he's like, okay, I will. And he's described as very fox-like and cunning and manipulative, this Chauvelin. And so he, we're able to see that very quickly when not long after this, Sir Anthony and Sir Andrew later that night are discussing plans from the Scarlet Pimpernel and what they're going to do and their role in having these letters and all this stuff. It's an important secret conversation, but during it, someone appears from under the table and catches them and the other man that was with him also catches them. And one of these these men is Chevlon. And they're able to see the letters and discover that Marguerite brother, Armand, is involved with the Scarlet Pimpernel, which obviously he's a member of the French government, so that looks very bad <laughs> and can get him into a lot of ch- trouble. So Chevlon takes this as an opportunity to threaten Marguerite, which, fun fact, Chevlon, just a side note, if you haven't seen the movie, he's played by Ian McKellen when he was much younger. And also so- Marguerite is played by Jane Seymour. So that's another great person who's <laughs> in the film. It's really a good film. They're amazing. And he's really good at playing Chevlon's just such a slimy way and yet also like he's still a government official and so he has this air about him of pride and just like I have power and I know how to keep it but also he's just like a greasy nasty like manipulative guy and you just get really uncomfortable actually when he saw the page I know when I was listening to it I was like oh he's kind of scary he's just scary which is actually rather different in the musical. Oh, really? Their relationship really? is pretty different in the musical. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, he's still like Chauvin, you know? Yeah. He's still not like a good guy. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, they change their relationship and him in ways that are just... Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> like how? Like do... They were lovers. Oh, that's in, in the France. movie too. Okay, yeah. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was in the movie. Yes, but um, yeah, so in the in the musical, there's a song 
that he sings to her that's supposed to be very seductive. Oh. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so he's not, like, at no... Like, usually I've never seen him played as, like, slimy and uncomfortable, you oh, know? Okay. You're like... I, I've seen one that was really, really awkward, so that was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, that was um, unfortunate. But, but no, like generally, he's like you're not necessarily supposed to like him or be attracted to him, but like he is allowed to have this kind of like attractive, yes, like appealing yeah. nature to him because she's supposed to be like tempted by him, and you know because mm. she's like unsatisfied in her marriage in lots of different ways, and so. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. interesting. I've so always they play that up even later on more because in the For movie, sure. in the movie, it's like they're romantically involved, and then they once she chooses Percy, that stops, and then when okay. he comes to threaten her, she's clearly not attracted to him anymore. Okay, she's just yeah. she's moved on from that, but like they have this past and stuff that he tries to exploit yeah, right exactly yeah yeah no it's usually a little i mean obviously like it's a show so it's played a little differently yeah. every time but usually they play up like the fe- that feeling of like her being tempted by mm. him interesting <laughs> yeah okay. so fast forward they end up at this performance and chevlon does speak to marguerite secretly during the performance and tells her like i know that your brother's involved and he'll be safe if you give me enough information to help me catch the scarlet pimpernel and she continues to fight it but she's obviously put in this very difficult predicament she doesn't know how to talk to her husband about it and so she's like okay i guess i'll i just have to i have to see what i can figure out he does mention that he knows sir anthony and sir andrew are involved and so she should watch them so after this performance there's a ball um can i throw in with the performance this is like not really super related (laughs) just (laughs) the performance is orpheus and while Mm -hmm. i was i i listened to the the book on this reread which i think you did too right both of us Mm -hmm. we listened to the audiobook version so i was like kind of trying to think about like what parallels or the story of orpheus might have Mm -hmm. to her story but since i was listening to it like you know you kind of just have to continue yes, on uh-huh. with the reader and i didn't take a lot of time and so i just wanted to throw out a little plug like if anybody has any thoughts on orpheus and the scarlet pimpernel and kind of parallels and connections between those two generally like intelligent authors don't just throw out a random thing like yes. that you know if it's a named play mm-hmm. then i then there's a connection she probably yeah. sees some kind of connection there so i'd be super interested in mm-hmm. what anybody thinks about that yeah that would be interesting good good plot <laughs> let's do that so yes they go to this ball and marguerite is paying very close attention to sir andrew and sir anthony trying to figure out what she could possibly get from them if anything during the night and so she does end up seeing i think sir andrew mm-hmm. gets a letter or does he get a letter does she see him like it's it's like a yeah slip she of sees paper. a she sees a drop off so That's she right. sees somebody pass by him and slip something into his hand okay yes. yes so she sees andrew receive something from someone and he ends up going to a room that's off of the ballroom and so she sneaks over and she's so clever <laughs> she is so clever and she pretends to be sick and fainting and ends up getting her hand on at least part of the letter the little note that he's reading he was in the middle of burning it 
So that's why it's exactly. part. Exactly. <laughs> so it's only partial. And she reads just a couple sentences, one of which is meet me at, I think it's like one o'clock or at midnight mm-hmm. in this particular, in the library, I think. Something. If you need to speak with me. And so she sees that. She does end up going and telling Chevlon about it. He goes to the room to try to be there at midnight. And all he sees there is Sir Percy Blakeney just sleeping on the couch. And he's like, huh, interesting. Well, I'll just pretend to be asleep too. That's... And then I'll hopefully be able to hear or see something. So he does that. A little while later, Marguerite's like panicked because she really doesn't (laughs) want to turn in the Scarlet Pimpernel, but also her brother's in danger. So she's just like waiting, super stressed out. She tells someone to go find her husband so that he can get the carriage ready for them because she's ready to go. And when the person comes back, he tells her that he, Sir Percy had been in the library, sleeping in the library. And so she knows this and she's like, oh, did something go wrong? Like... What exactly happened? Did you see? And she asks him, did you see anybody else in there? And he's like, oh, yeah, the French ambassador was also sleeping in there. And da, da, da. so she's like, I have no idea what's going on. Whatever. And <laughs> is finally, my brother OK? Yes, what's like, happening? What is happening? <laughs> so then Chevlon comes out and talks to her and she's like, well, like, is my brother safe? And he's like, well, you know, I told you as soon as I have Scarlet Pimpernel in my hands that your brother would be safe. And I'm not quite there yet, but potentially I can be soon. So that's where he leaves it. She goes home with her husband and she's just in turmoil, of course, super stressed out. Going back and forth on talking to him about it. It's just really interesting Mm -hmm. where she thinks like, he's the person who I should be able to talk to. And so I'm going to talk to him. And then he shows up and she's like, you've got to be kidding me. Never mind. I can't do this. I can't talk to you. So she like has this desire, but she just has so much derision for him that it's like hard for her to like set it aside and be willing to talk to him. Yes. Cause she's like both because he's her husband, but also because he's in a position where he could potentially yeah, he has lots he has of a influence. lot of influence. Like BF like he's yeah. the best friend of the Prince of Wales. He's richer yeah. than anyone else. Like he's highly influential. Yes. So he actually mm-hmm. could potentially do something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, she's back and forth the whole carriage ride. And then when they get home, he's about to go inside and she basically pulls him aside and is like can we please talk and basically she does end up saying you know my brother I think my brother's in trouble this is what happened and it leads into this discussion where they finally address the situation that happened at the beginning of their marriage where she says I just can't believe you never defended me like I'm really upset about that and he's like well you never explained anything to me you just like told me this terrible thing that you did and just expected me to just like be okay with it and this is where we really see the pride on both sides and it's interesting um in my research for this particular discussion i read part of a talk that was given by ezra taft benson in i think 1989 yes a 1989 conference where he talks about pride and he talks about how pride is a sin that can readily be seen in others but is rarely admitted to our in ourselves and we see that so much in this conversation because both of them are seeing the other person's pride. They're Percy is seeing Marguerite's pride and not being willing to just tell him and is like testing him. And even in the narrative, it says Marguerite didn't tell him all the 
the truth about everything because she wanted to see if her husband would just trust her. And so it was very much this pride of like, my husband should just believe in me and I shouldn't have to tell him. So he's seeing that, but then Marguerite is seeing in Percy this pride of not wanting to back down from his idea of things and not wanting to admit that he's wrong and not willing to humble himself in that way. And both are correct, but neither is really seeing inside themselves very well in this moment moment and it causes it means by the end of this conversation things have warmed up between them she's able to actually see more feeling in him that she hasn't seen in a long time and he also now and she does tell him why she ended up being involved in the death of this aristocratic family and that it wasn't necessarily her fault it was just by nature of being manipulated and her age and just a variety of things so he knows now but both of them still have that little bit of pride of marguerite not being willing to forgive her husband for what he did or didn't do and him not being willing to move on from the opinion he had held for so long and being willing to admit that he was wrong oh man it really is it's so brutal to to read especially in this conversation on percy's part where it's like because marguerite is like and she is trying you know she's holding on to some of her pride Mm -hmm. but you know she's like admitting some of her feelings and like trying to draw him out and he like just keeps getting cold and like shutting her down and i'm like just talk to each other (laughs) just talk to her it's fine but i read this talk from president uchtdorf so it's part of a priesthood session so it's very much like you know targeted towards brethren but obviously like you know that doesn't mean that it only applies to them (laughs) but so it's called in praise of those who save from april 2016 um talking all about like how to save families and marriages it's really really beautiful Mm -hmm. actually so i'll skip around a little bit here but he says the way you treat your wife or children or parents or siblings may influence generations to come What legacy do you want to leave your posterity? One of harshness, vengeance, anger, fear, or isolation? Or one of love, humility, forgiveness, compassion, spiritual growth, and unity? Even when you are not at fault, perhaps especially when you are not at fault, let love conquer pride. If you do this, whatever adversity you are facing will pass, and because of the love of God in your hearts, contention will fade. These principles of saving relationships apply to all of us, regardless of whether we are married, divorced, widowed, or single. We can all be saviors of strong families. And I just really love that idea of legacy because, first of all, I think that's something that would appeal to Percy Blakeney really, really strongly. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody were to come to him and be like, hey, dude, are you going to leave, like, this legacy of harshness and anger or, like, compassion and humility you know Mm -hmm. i think that would speak to him really strongly and be like oh you know even though he doesn't have children at this point and they might not if they continue (laughs) at this rate um he has a really noble heart and that's the reason why he's so frustrated with marguerite right is because he has this noble heart and he believes so strongly that what she did was wrong but like what you read he's not willing to admit that anything that he has done Mm -hmm. is wrong yeah, for both of them, this uh, Marguerite is definitely holding on to this idea of I'm not at fault. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I did, like, yes, I did this thing that was, that was wrong, but, like, it was tricked. I was naive. Like, it wasn't necessarily my fault. And so, like, 
I feel guilty, but I shouldn't be like fully blamed for it, you know? And she's kind of like focusing on that and not focusing on letting love conquer pride, right? On just like loving him and um, and getting past that and being willing to love and apologize even if she doesn't necessarily feel to blame, right? Uh, that last sentence, we can all be saviors of strong families. Like, I just think it's really powerful that um, right now they're making choices that can make or break them, you know? Yeah, I like also in this talk by Ezra Taft Benson that he mentions that pride is a damning sin in the true sense of that word. It limits or stops progression and that pride fades our feelings of sonship to God and brotherhood to man. It separates and divides us by ranks. Unity is impossible for a proud people. And we see that so well in this because actually they're both have the same principles and the mm. same beliefs in the world. I guess spoiler alert, Sir Percy is Scarlet Pim- is the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah, if you didn't figure if it out didn't already. If you didn't figure that out already, he is the Scarlet Pimpernel. I think we were she trying to yes. hold off on that, but yes, it reaches a point where it. you just yes. gotta know. Because <laughs> that's also part of this pride is he's not willing to talk to her and she's not willing to talk to him fully. And so even though they actually are on the same page as far as their beliefs and they could be such a power couple, they're not because they both are holding on to their pride. They're separated. They're divided because of this pride that's in each of them. Where, like I said, they could be so unified. She really appreciates what the Scarlet Pimpernel is doing. And she loves really, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah, she thinks it's amazing <laughs> and fabulous and that he's brave and that he's doing this great thing on a principle she could believe in and obviously it's him so he clearly believes the same thing and believes it's a good worthwhile thing to do but they just aren't quite matching up and we see that continue where now we know much better so later that night sir percy is like hey just you know i'm just heading up north to do some things and she comes running out and is like what like where are you going in the middle of the night like what is going on and he finally does tell her he's like i'm going to go take care of armand your brother and she is obviously so grateful so now they're like getting closer but he's still not telling her everything and so she goes in like still having all these questions of like what exactly he's planning to do like what is going on but she's like okay I'll just wait and let him do it so there's a little bit more trust there now it's like this weird like they're getting more in line but they're just not quite all the way honest and humble with each other quite yet especially on his side I would say at this point she's yeah she's really really trying I think to set aside her pride (laughs) whereas he's struggling with it more but it's so hard because they both really do have reasons not to trust each other Mm -hmm. you know like why should he as the scarlet pimpernel knowing that she sent this aristocratic french family to their death like tell her (laughs) that he's Uh saving aristocratic french families and why should she who's been like pushed aside by him who's been treated as nothing and who he acts like this total fool and useless nincompoop around like why should she trust that he's going to treat her situation with any gravity or seriousness or help her get out of it you know like they both have these really really strong arguments yes (laughs) for Mm -hmm. not trusting each other but it really is like that sentence let love conquer pride like it doesn't matter like just put it aside that's ultimately like if you can't get over it 
like do it anyway. That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. Yes. <laughs> is you have to, yeah. or you're never going to accomplish it anyway. You're not going to get anywhere. That's how you're a savior for your family and for your relationship yeah. is by just doing it. Just trust them. And just see where it takes you. Yeah. And just hope for the best. Which is easier said yes. than done, of it course. It is, for but sure. it's just, oh but my But it gosh. is a key to building a strong you have relationship. To. It yeah. just has to be there. Yeah. But like I said, I would say at this point, Marguerite has let down her pride a little bit more clearly, at least with, like, in front of Sir Percy, because she has told the truth. Like, she doesn't have any secrets anymore as far as... Everything. I think the only secret she doesn't say is that she was behind helping Chevlon find the Scarlet Pimpernel. She does yeah, not that's tell what him she that can't part. Tell so that's like yet. the one part that <laughs> she's held back. So there's still a little bit, but we see that. And part of it was inspired by her actually seeing, like I mentioned earlier, that there was something in Percy and his love for her that he she hasn't seen in a long time. And she realizes that he still does care about her. So right after this conversation... <laughs> Marguerite leaves, right? So they're on this these stairs. They're talking outside and they're on these stairs and Marguerite like walks up the stairs with like her hand on the railing. <laughs> Which sounds so unimportant. <laughs> but it but becomes the important. Is, the thing is, Sir Percy through this whole conversation is doing everything he can to remain prideful. Like every part of yes. him is dying to just break down and run to her and let it all out, right? And we know this <laughs> um, because as soon as Marguerite is out of sight, this man <laughs> kisses the ground where she's stepped. <laughs> he kisses the railing where her hand touched. <laughs> and this is this is the scene. This is the scene Tori mentioned at the beginning. <laughs> I just died over. I just remember high school me being like, are you joking me? Are you joking me right now? It's so good. I, I love that you loved it so much. I feel like for me, I'm like, mm, that's the one turn off. That's the one moment I'm like, whoa, okay, calm down. Which I totally get. And honestly, if I read that for the first time now, I don't know. I think if I had read this book the first time now, I would have enjoyed it way less yeah, than I did back enough. in the day. Because there are lots of parts where I'm like, Okay. <laughs> but I, I just love it so yeah. much that it doesn't matter. <laughs> Not that li- like it's it is a good book. Yes. Like I still mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoy it, but I just but it is cheesy for sure. Yes. Um <laughs> but hey, the passion. The passion. The passion He's the just angst. so in love with her. And, he, like, waits and I was for her like, to leave I'm so in love with like, you. Can't he just breaks. Anymore. He breaks and it's just yes. man, this girl has brought him to his hands and knees, dude, even if she can't see it. So he sets aside his pride. Because he only does it when she's not there. Only when she's not there, which only like 25% counts. Like it uh, Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually mean anything if if he's not using it to save the relationship. But we we see really, really strongly, really, really clearly in this moment that there is 
love and passion for her. And so I think it gives the readers some hope that like, okay, no, like we're going to get past this. Yeah. And it's one of the few moments that we get to see her perceive Blakeney is. Like if you're yeah. reading this without any background, like you know nothing about Percy besides that he's silly. Yeah. And that's it. You really don't and get a lot so, from him. Yeah. You just don't know at this point any different and this is where you really see like oh he really loves her and there's more to him than meets the eye which ends up leading more into reveals later on of course as well yeah um no honestly it's one of those few where like i'm not an adaptation person i think i've mentioned that i struggle with adaptations and it always helps when you like see an adaptation before reading the book yes it does help (laughs) um but yeah this is one of those where it's like they really do like you said they complement each other really really well Mm -hmm. it's not like i would just say like oh yeah the movie's better than the book Mm -hmm. you know like it's just really cool to have the different perspectives and slightly different happenings that kind of round out the whole story yes Mm -hmm. i think it brings it together i was telling kariana before this that i feel like the film is a little more percy blakeney's story i mean marguerite it definitely focuses a lot on her too but we see a lot more of percy as the scarlet pimpernel and what goes into that so we get to know him a lot better but the book we're able to see marguerite's internal dilemmas and stuff a lot better so it just really creates an opportunity to see both sides a little clearer which I really appreciate I like that the film was able to do that I love that you used that phrase because one of the songs in the musical The Scarlet Pimpernel is called Marguerite's Dilemma perfect (laughs) there you go easy enough it's amazing so love that So I guess we'll kind of just rush through the rest of the story. Most of it's just kind of a lot of plot and adventure, kind of like our Marvel movie (laughs) discussions where we just kind of rush to the end. But I do want to kind of see... action scene kind of Marvel way. Like really, they're... The movie is a lot more action-packed than the book, for sure. The musical as well, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more drama. The book is a lot more... Like we've said, it's internal. Yeah, a lot more internal. And I think a lot of the action is much more in like reading between the lines and like thinking about like yeah the stress behind the situation like it's the anticipation and like stress but there's not actually a lot happening and there's a lot of outsmarting and outmaneuvering so Uh nothing happening because they're just trying to outsmart each other exactly (laughs) exactly so it's like it's good please read it like you'll love it it's super exciting just in the context of this conversation there's only so much to really discuss so basically we see marguerite she ends up going into her husband's mysterious study that he doesn't allow anybody in except for the butler and himself and while she's in there she ends up discovering this little ring on the ground that has a surprise you guessed it it's a pimpernel a scarlet pimpernel to be exact and she's like why would he have this and then realizes oh my gosh what if what if he's actually the scarlet pimpernel and so she realizes that she possibly has betrayed him to his death (laughs) because he's off to france and chevlon is waiting for the scarlet pimpernel there and she's she knows Chevlon is very intelligent and it's like okay he probably did put it together with Sir P- Percy having been asleep on the couch in the room so she ends up rushing to Sir Andrew and it's like okay this is what I know we need to get to France now 
so we can stop Sir Percy. So they get across the channel, they start seeking him in Paris, and they end up at this particular tavern or something where Sir Percy was staying, and Sir Andrew knows that he's been there before. And while there, they end up seeing him, but they also see Chevlon, and there's this big interaction between Percy and Chevlon where they're just kind of being informal and stuff, and both of them are acting like the other person doesn't know. the truth about things. But ultimately, Sir Percy is able to get away and just kind of disappears. Marguerite's hearing all of this from behind a door, so she is not particularly involved in it. But Chevlon, of course, gets very mad when Sir Percy gets out. And so he does everything he can to try to find which way he went. And Marguerite ends up following Chevlon. He ends up discovering that Sir Percy was going to this chateau that lies on the banks near the English Channel where they'll be able to cross and get out. He's saving a couple of aristocrats at this point. So Chevlon starts following him with the help of this Jew that he was able to find who directed them this direction and Marguerite just follows along behind. They get to the chateau and they're waiting for the people to come out who are inside as well as Sir Percy to show up. Basically, all of this culminates in Chevlon catches Marguerite and captures her. And then Sir Andrew and the aristocrats they're saving ends up getting away. And the guards are like, Chevlon, you didn't tell us to get them. You said, wait till Scarlet Pimpernel arrives. And that's what we've been doing. And so he's really upset with them because they just let these people go and they get on the boat and float away. And so he ends up leaving Marguerite kind of drugged and hurt alone along with the Jew which they who they beat up because they blame him for not getting them where they want to be. Mostly because he's a Jew. (laughs) Because he's a Jew. Yes, exactly. And so they end up leaving the two of them there basically for dead while Chevlon goes back to Paris to try to figure out next steps. I think he realizes that Sir Percy wasn't on the ship. Yeah, he recognizes that like Percy couldn't have gotten to the boat without anybody noticing. So he's like, no, he's here somewhere. Yes, he has to be here somewhere. So they go off to look for him. And Marguerite's just laying there, basically not really able to move much and stuff. And she hears this voice speak. And it sounds like her husband. She ends up realizing that the Jew was her husband in disguise. That's He's like, la, but they didn't have to hit me so hard. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, dumb voice. And she's like, what? She's like, wait a second. So they have this reunion and we're able to see them finally like just break down the barriers and Marguerite just apologizes for her role that she played and he is willing to share his soul with her a little bit more and that's basically where it ends. So not a lot of dilly-dallying with the ending in this book but we are left with this hope that they have both let down this pride that's been holding their relationship back and it allows for them to become united the way they always could have been. Like I said, they always had the same values in life and desire to help other people. And they both are super intelligent as well. And so they really could have done so much. And now we, they will finally get the chance to be able to do that as a couple that's truly unified and made equal because of their humility and honesty with each other. Yeah. 
maybe not with him as the Scarlet Pimpernel, which no. is sad, yeah. but mm-hmm. if they could have figured it out before, then they could have been like mega power couple yes, saving seriously. everybody from France. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure they'll <laughs> still find some sort of way to they'll do, do something. something. Yeah. 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 They're smart with enough and, and power have that and strong of value that they're going to figure it out in that talk that i mentioned before by president uchtdorf he talks about humbling ourselves and repenting um which is you know obviously a huge part of Mm -hmm. of overcoming pride right and uh, he says the essence of repentance is trying to change ourselves in ways that will make us better people on the other hand the foundation of pride is the desire to cover up our own weaknesses and focus on changing our spouse's behavior As we humble ourselves, we desire to improve our lives and take responsibility for our weaknesses. We are willing to apologize and become better people, which is at the core of repentance. Obviously, like this doesn't just apply to married relationships, right? And so I, at one point, I definitely, I mean, like probably most people, I've felt that feeling of like, you know, my heart kind of hardening and like not wanting to just swallow it and and humble Mm -hmm. myself. And, um... I, at one point I was having, we were having this kind of like family debate we love to debate in our family. So, you know, it was just kind of this like friendly, friendly, normal debating situation. I made a joke. That's what it was. I made a joke about something that was a little bit insensitive. Mm. I make insensitive jokes sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And my sister does not appreciate insensitive jokes. And she called me out on it and she was just like, you know, you're talking about this group of people or whatever and like they feel this way and you don't have to talk about them like that Mm -hmm. even though you disagree with them, you know. I was really, really frustrated and I mean embarrassed honestly about Mm -hmm. being called out, right? And I can't remember exactly what I said, but something to the effect of like, I'm just expressing myself and you don't need to tell me not to or how I should do that, you know, Mm -hmm. or something, something like that. The conversation ended shortly thereafter. And I know that my dad and I talked about it a little bit after my dad was in agreement with me and felt like she was overreacting. But I knew that I felt guilty, but I'm not the kind of person who easily like apologizes for no reason. And that comes from a place of honesty more Mm -hmm. than pride. You know, I'm not going, it's hard for me to want to apologize to somebody when I'm not sorry, you know, Mm because that feels ingenuine to me. Um, And so I took a few days actually thinking like, what am I sorry for? And I'd be I was like, I'm not sorry for this. And I'm not sorry for this. Like I'm not, (laughs) you know, all this stuff. But I did take that time and finally realized I was in the wrong. Like, I'm sorry that I was being insensitive and I don't want to act that way towards people. And I want to change Mm -hmm. to be better than that, you know? And she was right. And that's what I finally realized. And it took me even longer (laughs) to approach her with it. But at one point I was giving her a ride somewhere and I was like, Kariana, you literally have to do this. Like you're alone with her in this car. Like, come on. Like Mm -hmm. it was eating away at me. And so I did finally like get myself to bring it up and just say like, hey, you remember this conversation? Like, I've thought a lot about it and I realized that this was wrong and I'm really glad that you were willing to call me out on that so that I can improve and I hope that you'll continue to do that in the future even though I kind of like then called you out on doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that was... 
it was a really intensely difficult like process for me over the course of a week but it definitely like you know she was kind of like oh you know like it's fine I don't even know if she had I doubt she had thought about it as much as me Mm -hmm. you know um and she was fine but it made me feel better just in the sense that like I often in my especially in my sibling relationships feel labeled as the insensitive person who like doesn't have any desire to change you know Mm -hmm. just because of our you know our values and where we lie on different on different issues and that's you know not all in my head like I have had comments made to me that (laughs) that confirms that that's kind of where where I lie for a lot of them and so for me that was a really important moment in being able to just kind of like show in a really real way that I am willing to change and adjust and be better. And so that, you know, I rely on that experience a lot to say like, no, they do that. Like they have seen this from me and they do know that Mm -hmm. I'm better than that when I do kind of get in my head about it. Absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah. So I think it was really good for us and definitely really good for me (laughs) being able to Mm -hmm. overcome that. Yeah. And once you do it once, like it makes it so much easier to keep choosing to be humble and keep choosing to prioritize the relationship over your own pride. Yeah. Which is really what this talk by Ezra Talk Benson has a whole section that's just talking about choosing to be humble, Mm. choosing to allow people to influence you in a positive way, choosing to be honest with people, choosing to trust people as needed, and just continue choosing. God and his expectations of us over the world, disregarding any reputation we may have and prioritizing what's actually important. And I think that's a choice that needs to be made regularly in all of our relationships, like you said, like not just romantic or married relationships, but also between siblings, with parents, with friends, with church leaders even often Mm. that is a really important relationship to build as well and choosing to be humble is possible it just it does take a lot of energy it's hard to overcome pride for sure but it is interesting that like it's almost like once you know somebody expects that from you I don't know I guess when I feel like it's going to be a surprise or out of place then it's really hard but when it feels like you know, somebody knows that you are humble and willing to change, that it's easier to be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm changing this because, you know, they're going to accept it, you know, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. And I also think there's kind of a sense of like, you want to be seen as good as possible. And sometimes there's a sense of like, if you let down your pride, then you're admitting that you're not that perfect, which is kind of an intimate thing. which is scary so yeah I would say yeah with certain relationships once you get into this mode of they know you do that and that they know you're flawed basically and that you're willing to admit you're flawed it's easier once you've passed that first hurdle but that first hurdle is the hardest part because like I said it is kind of an intimate and vulnerable position to be in so but so worth it so worth it and it just ends up building up yourself and those around you when you're able to do that Yeah, one of those silly human failings where it, like, feels so much scarier, but in the end, it's, like, so much worse to, like, hold on to that pride 
for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely, yeah. Like I read earlier, Ezra Tash Benson explains that pride really is a tool Satan uses to keep us from progressing. It stops us from our progression towards becoming more like God. And I've loved that we've been able to see this a lot as we've gone through Come Follow Me with Nephi and Lehi and Laman and Lemuel and all their stories. And we recently just read about the Liahona and how that is an item that when they're being prideful and not listening and not being diligent, then it stops working. But then when they do humble themselves and and repent and listen to God, that's what allows them to know where to go and know their next destination. And I think we can just really take that into our own lives where it's not just being obedient to God that leads us in the right path. It's that humility that goes along with it. It's letting down our prideful barriers that keep us from connecting with other people, that keep us from connecting with God, and that keep us from progressing along the path that God has laid out for us. And it is a daily choice and probably multiple times a day sometimes as well but it is so worth it in the end and that's exactly what God wants for us so that we can get to eternal life right where we want to be so all right I think that's everything (laughs) so we'll just wrap this up it was a little bit of a shorter one but I think you know sometimes that happens short and sweet it's short and sweet we had a good conversation and it's a great book great film great musical I'm assuming like I said I've only heard a few songs she knows a lot (laughs) but definitely one to check out as for ending this off be sure to subscribe on youtube or wherever you're listening to the podcast as well as leave a like or a review depending on where you're listening follow us on instagram at god and all things we like to post a few random things over there about us about god all the joys so definitely check us out there also if you're interested in what i am reading you can check me out on the channel good strong words on youtube i just do vlogs and other bookish discussions on there that are less connected to the spiritual side of things but still great so you can check those out over there and that is everything so again thank you so much for watching listening we hope you have a wonderful week keep continuing to see god in all things and we will see you next time bye bye Thank you.